Hey everyone, Tom here, Alpha Metallica, back with yet another episode. If you're listening to this in real time, you may be expecting the Merciful Fate episode. We'll be doing that very shortly. There's been, unfortunately, a little delay there, but I just figured let's get out some content for you guys. I wanted to do a solo episode, a topic that I've wanted to explore for ages on the show, that being the Metallica and Guns N' Roses co-headline tour that they did in 1992. This is when, you know, Guns had just released the Illusion Records, Metallica was in the midst of the Black Album promotion and they fucking set out in the summer of 92 to slay stadiums and it was by both accounts glorious and an absolute living nightmare this traveling circus that you know thunderous clash of egos where on paper it looked like it'd be the greatest thing in the world but obviously we had scorched flesh and, and riots on the streets and mad axle parties so yeah we're gonna get to that we're gonna talk a little bit about the history we're going to go through each day i've got some cool clips did some research got some um, fun quotes maybe some insights you might not be aware of just before we get to that however and even before i vlog at metallica pub metallica all that sort of stuff if you want to get in touch um i am going to be going to see metallica in Wembley, so I'll be seeing them for the second time, this being at Twickenham Stadium, June 20th, 2019, so you know, obviously, they're going out on this uh, this tour themselves, don't need GNR with them, and didn't in the first place, but that was kind of the beauty of it, so yeah, I'm going to be there, that's a Thursday, by the way, Thursday, the 20th of June, so... I want to arrange some meetups. I mean, originally what I was thinking was that the Friday, Friday the 21st in London, maybe make a bit more sense the day after. Perhaps people have travelled over, people who live in London anyway. Maybe we can go to a pub or something. And obviously I'm down to meet with people before as well. I know a few people have reached out prior just asking, is there going to be an Alpha Metallica meetup? I have jealously uh, looked overseas at Clinton Eve and they just recently, I think the other day, did their second anniversary party in Nashville. And I am going to try by the way to get to the third one it would be incredible to go there and, and see all you guys and hang out with those guys as well and just to meet all the muyp family but there's an alpha metallica family over here and i want to meet you guys as well so uh, more info as it comes you know we're just recording this in early january perhaps you're listening closer to the date so what i will say is get in touch with me metallicapod at gmail.com if you want to meet up on the thursday or the friday i'm just sort of arranging sort of arranging the groups now and you know seeing availability again it is very much in its nascent nebulous stages but if you do want to meet up around the gig in london hit me up metallicapod at gmail.com or on twitter at metallicapod and i will get back to you i'll probably organize some sort of facebook group or some sort of event or something like that that i can invite you to and keep track of each other so um and as i said before this is tom alf metallica if you want to get at me you want to come on the show metallicapod at gmail.com patreon is there itunes is there if you want to help support the show you want to give back to the show that is greatly greatly appreciated all right so why guns and roses well guns and roses are one of my favorite bands i think i mentioned that quite a few times on the show they're definitely up there with metallica equals in my eyes like you know of all the bands that i truly truly adore um like guns like metallica like soundgarden like the replacements drive-by truckers uh, karate i really like as well midlake and actually i wouldn't put midlake in like my all-time greatest bands there's one of their albums that i adore but anyway yeah guns have always been one of those bands for me uh appetite is one of my all-time favorite records i think appetite is literally only let down by one song that being anything goes but a lot of people would disagree with me on that point anyway but i think it's very much a 9.999 record even that song's pretty fucking good anyway uh love the illusion records love the lies records don't really want to make this 
this like a Tom Story with GNR kind of episode. Uh, I did mention a few months ago that I was going to do a long deep dive on Appetite, and I still haven't done that yet. I've just been working on other projects, and it's kind of a super top secret Alpha Talica thing that I can't really talk about at the moment. It's taken me quite a while to do. Um, but but yeah, I Guns N' Roses just absolutely bow down to this band in particular the same way that I love Pearl Jam but really I love Stone Gossard that's kind of the beating heart of the band for me at least in terms of the guitar work in terms of the sinewy songwriting that really gets me going uh, it's Izzy for me I think Izzy is an absolute master and um, he is not in this tour in fact Axel makes a little slow reference to him which we'll get to as well um, but yeah, as I say, this is an episode I've sort of scrambled together last minute, so it is going to be a little bit all over the place. There's going to be a lot of quotes as well, um, a lot of me quoting from various rock stars and backstage teamsters and the like. If anyone's familiar with Dan Carlin, uh, specifically his Hardcore History podcast, these are these... I mean, I'm passing it on to you, dear listeners, because someone introduced it to me and it became one of my favorite podcasts ever. Basically, a long, long form history podcast. You know, this guy does like six part series on World War II. Each episode is like five hours long. He's reading from the journals of bombers fretting the night before to to Kaisers and, and bread makers. And there's a lot of reading in that from him as well. So I'm kind of channeling my inner Dan Carlin here, my very own ghosts of the Oster Front when Metallica and GNR went out for a big old rock star knees up so yeah this is going to be uh, a bit all over the place as i say but um i hope you enjoy it let's get into the tour so essentially it seemed like there were months and months of maneuvering beforehand and then it got to the point on uh, may 12th 1992 lars and slash held a press conference to announce the tour originally axel apparently had wanted nirvana to be the support act and it's interesting nirvana are a fred in this tour they come up a few times in the show obviously we have the video music awards as well going down i think that's september 8th in the middle of the tour which again causes huge issues to get mentioned in the show by axel but i mean that just plays to axel's ignorance is hubris i suppose i mean if he really knew who nirvana were and was familiar with their machinations and, and you know precisely kurt of course kurt's gonna fucking hate guns and roses not want anything to do with it and i mean can you imagine guns and roses opening in these giant stadiums it just doesn't really fit i don't know if they ever played anything like this i think they did some south american shows in 94 again all my nirvana fans listening i'm not like the biggest acolyte of the band not too aware of them but yeah they wanted nirvana to do it faith no more did it and faith no more ran into trouble with the band as well which we'll get to but yeah let, let's hear from the guys quickly at the press conference we're gonna play uh, pretty much your full headline set each that was always yeah. the idea from the get-go uh about roughly two and a half hours each and um and that's it faith no more is gonna play roughly around 45 minutes and uh We'll see what happens. There has been like major obstacles that we we're just like, well, but we still really want to do this, right. so we'll get around it. And every time that we hit an obstacle, we always say, well, okay, managers, you guys go <laughs> home, and we'll, we'll deal with it, okay? And it always <laughs> seems to get resolved. I haven't seen anything happen like this since I was a kid. I mean, there's bands going out, they have these huge festivals, and I know everything changed while I, while I was coming up as a guitar player. Everything just sort of changed. It got really boring. But what turned me on when I was young was shows like this. And again, in terms of the background to organizing the tour, Axel would say, we wanted to do the tour Metallica since the day we started. We worked real hard to put this thing together. We paid them a few million dollars more than they deserved because they wouldn't do it unless they got paid a certain amount. Okay. And the only way you could get them to do it was if we called it co-headlining. So fine, we call it co-headlining. 
James would say it was pretty difficult getting the 50-50 thing together, agreeing on a stage, time, where we're playing. There was a lot of shit that had to go back and forth. And Lars would say, if it was left to the managers, agents and accountants, this never would have got off the ground. Whenever we had a stumbling block, we'd all sit down and work it out. And James would recount the fact that um, him and Lars and Slash and Axel actually had a little dinner and they talked and they sort of sorted stuff out. Apparently they had very different ideas of the show. James saying, we just wanted to go out and fucking play, but they wanted this Lollapalooza thing. So yeah, this clearly wasn't a harmonious marriage and it doesn't... To me, I just love the just absolute braggadocious rock star, don't give a fuck nature of this. Like, it really is a throwback because if this, they didn't need to do this. They could have just sold out the stadiums themselves, put on the mini bills themselves, you know, as Metallica and Guns would do later on. Clearly, they'd never co headline again. Or Metallica wouldn't need to, like, you're seeing. I think just recently Def Leppard and Journey went out um, and did a huge sellout tour. And that makes sense. You know, they've got slightly disparate audiences uniting together, maybe on their own. We'll have a chance in hell of kind of actually selling out uh, Rutherford or all these other places we're going to visit as this episode goes on. But together, you know, it's more logical. But here, I don't know. Was it just the pure spectacle of the thing? Was it a kind of an ego thing, perhaps? Because they were the two biggest dogs in the world. I mean, fuck the big four. This were really the, the big two of rock you know of heavy music in the world at this point so yeah eventually the tour went ahead may 12th as i say 92 is when it was announced and actually started in july 17th so just two months i mean it had been in the background a long time before this but but still i can only imagine how that must have felt as a fan of either of these bands learning that this was going down Okay, so the first show went down July 17th, the RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. And one of the things that I'm going to quote from extensively in this episode is a great article by Jean-Marie Laskus, I hope I'm saying that right, in Life magazine. And uh, here they are talking about behind the scenes here. Quote, the crew accompanying Guns N' Roses is made up of about 80 people, including four bodyguards hired in part to keep the drug pushers and sex crazed fans out of temptation's path. They formed a family. For some of these people, it is the only family they've ever really known. And reviewing them at this point was Bruce Britt. This is from the LA Daily News saying, quote, Guns N' Roses took more than 90 minutes to set up, which was more than enough time for the restless throng of concert goers to make, concert goers to make mischief. But not everyone was amused by the debauchery or Guns N' Roses tardiness. Some fans had to leave the stadium early. Those who could stay were treated to the usual uneven Guns N' Roses set. The momentum was severely diminished by lengthy and pointless solos by guitarist Slash and Gilby Clark, as well as drummer Matt Sorum. The band never regained its footing and the crowd slowly thinned. Some of the remaining fans were spied sleeping or just sitting, bored, expressionless on their faces. Unlike Guns N' Roses, Metallica seems fully aware that this tour presents a marvellous opportunity in a performance that could only be compared to Attila the Hun's Tour of Mongolia. Metallica stormtrooped its way into the hearts of the crowd. Their set was simply superb. More than 90 minutes of non-stop musical mayhem. And yet, of course, Metallica went on first to all of these shows, which just makes sense. They're, you know, they're businessmen. They understand the rep- reputation. Guns always went last. Guns seemed to pretty much always go on late as well. You know the kind of Axl Rose idea here where James went through the rider and pointing out that Axl had a, a, a bed backstage and, you know, demanded certain cans of Pringles and all that bullshit. But Metallica, by this point, was 
were, you know, an unbelievably well-oiled machine, a, a behemoth, both in terms of critical adoration and, and commercial sales. You know, they were kind of irresistible at this point. They come out smelling like roses on these shows, and Giordano not so much. You know, there was such a, a, a dissonance between the two. I mean, ideally, you want them to cohere. You want it to really make sense that they're going out together and for them to complement each other. But it just seems that Metallica really cast GNR into stark relief. And the next show was July 18th at Giant Stadium in East Rutherford. And James would say, we're out there grabbing some of their fans by the throat and going, wake up, you motherfuckers. This ain't no fantasy shit. No rock and roll fucking dream. Basically, if you want to hang together, you can. I haven't even seen those guys yet. GNR were late, of course, the night before July 17th, so this night, Axel apparently apologised for going on late. He did an impression of Izzy Stradlin as well, who by this point was replaced by Gilby, and apparently dedicated Double Talking Jive to Bill Clinton and George Bush. Let's hear a clip of that. As I said, the new man on the rhythm guitar, Mr. Gilby fucking Clark. following show was July 21st at the Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan. Some people may, may be aware that this is the You Could Be Mine where Axel actually vomits on stage and leaves the stage and later they would replay You Could Be Mine to a better standard. Uh, G. Murray Laskus as well in Life magazine talking about um, Duff and his feelings about Axel during the tour. Duff is having a hard time with life on the road. He is, frankly, getting sick and tired of fans who come up to him and rather than fall all over him, ask, where's Axel? Duff's wife, Linda, recently got Duff a t-shirt that reads, no, I don't know where Axel is. I couldn't find the You Could Be Mine clip online, unfortunately. Um, some of these shows, it's kind of confusing. Like, there's a lot of audio. Like, I guess I'm spoiled with Met Fan for Life and all that sort of stuff, where you pretty much got every show dating back to the Puppets era. But here, there's kind of some crumbly audio rip from a camcorder, the occasional clip as well. Um, there was a Civil War full clip. There's a lot of the Pontiac show online. Uh, not you could be mine though, but there is a lot of the Pontiac show and the Civil War clip that I watched actually sounds fantastic. It was a really, really good performance. The following night, they were back home, uh, back home in Izzy and Axel's home state of Indiana, the Hoosier Dome. This is July 22nd. Uh, Blind Melon's vocalist, Shannon Hoon, apparently joined GNR on stage and they did Don't Cry, which is pretty, pretty cool. Following from this was July 25th, Orchard Park, Rich Stadium. This is the lowest attended show on the run. 76% of the tickets were sold at a 60,000 allocation. And here's a cool story uh, from a fan from the Life magazine article. Patricia Zera, 20, gets hit. A piece of glass, ice, it lands right in her eye. Blood shoots out in weird spurts. So much of it that you can no longer see her eyeball. Her sister, Melinda, screams in terror. 
Her brother, Richard, believes that her eyeball has fallen out. Patricia is in shock. This isn't fair. She's not even a Metallica fan. She's come here to see Guns N' Roses. She spent months begging her mom to let her come to this concert. Oh my god, my mom, she cries, and she gets carted off to Mercy Hospital. Patricia Zira's eyeball does not, by the way, turn out to be missing. 13 stitches above her eye put her back in shape. She returns to the concert, but the concert is over. Someone in the Guns N' Roses entourage hears her story and invites her to the band's private backstage party, a 60s bash with lava lamps and daisies on all the tables, and slogans on the wall like acid is groovy and kill the pigs. Patricia is introduced to all the guys in the band except Axel who is sitting in the hot tub entertaining other guests. So yeah don't know what the fuck was going on in the Metallica set though a bit of glass got in her eye but I mean Patricia sounds like a great story I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. The following show was July 26th the next day the Free River Stadium in Pittsburgh. Lot of news as well on the tour of Lars, hanging out more with GNR than actual Metallica. This is Dizzy Reed speaking, who was the keyboardist for GNR, saying, Speaking for myself personally, we see Lars around a lot from city to city, but the rest of the guys, we didn't really talk to them much at all, never really saw them or anything. And John L. Reese, who was tour manager for Guns, says, Lars hung out with Slash Duff and Matt a lot, and flew on our private plane a few times. July 29th, Giant Stadium, and this is the second time already that Axel has left the stage early while the band still plays. Apparently what happens here is that he encountered a severe pain in his throat, which sort of came through a lot of the tour, and he continued the show though, he soldiers on, until a cigarette lighter hit him straight in the genitals during Knocking on Heaven's Door. So he retreated backstage to regain his energy, that's where Duff took over. Again, can't really find a clip of that, which is a bit annoying. Supposedly Axel did say though, I got my philosophy, this is before he stormed out, I got my philosophy on this from Lemmy and Motorhead, don't let them throw things at your show as it could happen at the next band show, and someone could get get hurt i mean oh god how magnanimous of you axel this inner logic is watertight apparently on this show as well there was a rare performance of rocket queen but axel was avoiding a lot of the words i guess that might have something to do with his throat and i appreciate guys this is more guns than metallica but guns were doing the the, the big news story should i say metallica were just getting in and getting out and not in a bad way you know they were killing it following this axel was diagnosed as having damaged his vocal cords so the next three shows were rescheduled and faith no more were the support, as I mentioned before, and let me tell you something, they were not happy with Guns N' Roses. Here's Bill Gold, the bassist of Faith No More, saying, every band in the world might think they want to open for Guns N' Roses, but let me tell you, it's been a real ugly personal experience having to deal with all that shit that surrounds this fucking circus. And Mike Patton, the singer, saying, they were playing one night, and Duff walks up to Axel and pats him on the head, like a loving comrade type of thing, and Axel immediately brings the show to a halt. This is in front of 80,000 people, and he screams, Don't you ever touch my head again, motherfucker! Duff just walked away wounded. We found out later that it was because he's going bold, and he's worried that if you touch his hair, it'll fall out. Every little follicle counts. And now we get to the most notorious show on the tour, one of the most notorious shows in the history of either band. This is August 8th in Montreal, Canada, the Olympic Stadium. James was essentially burned alive. Pretty horrific story. I'm sure most people are aware of it. He suffered third-degree burns when he accidentally stepped in front of a flame jet. Uh, James talking about the incident afterwards. Basically, our pyro guy will come in and say if something's going to be changed. He came and said, okay, the Fade to Black stuff will be out on the wing, so don't go there. But he didn't specify that it was going to be an addition to what's already there. 
And last, it was the first show back after about four days that were cancelled because Axel had some problems with his throat. So we were back again, everybody was very excited to be back playing, and for the first hour and ten minutes, or whatever it was we played, it was great. The last couple of seconds before the queue, though, it was eerie. I just knew he shouldn't be standing where he was standing. And then the flame from hell comes, it was moving down the stage, eight feet tall, and just completely engulfs him. So yeah, James was hospitalised, a pretty fucking awful incident that thankfully he recovered from. I mean, you know, really, he could have fucking died there or just been disabled or paralyzed for life or whatever but you know it's it's jimmy james het like you know he's he's built from finest stock the most men so it falls onto axel the prissy prima donna of the entire tour up to this point to not be a feeble twat and to go out and perform to this crowd to be the hero of the day but of course that didn't happen let's hear from what the guns guys have to say when i left the hotel and they said james was burnt I need some. I just felt it. It just felt wrong. So uh, we hustled on as soon as we could. It was a couple hours people were waiting. So already they were like, uh, you know. And when we got up there, they were just really dead, and people were sitting down. And what happened then? I mean, you, you got out there and we got out there you played the, anyway. The PA fed back the entire time. The monitors fed back the entire time. The crowd was like non-existent. We had just stopped the tour because I had throat problems. Came back, and I realized I'm going to hurt myself. Right. I told Slash, two more songs. If it's not, if we can't get it fixed, I got to go, you know? And then we did more than two more songs. And finally, I was just kind of like, I don't know what to do. And I looked over and Gilby was like, dude, I can't hear. And of course, this was a giant incident. I think millions of dollars of damages and, you know, many people arrested and hospitalized. And, and, and the footage is like something out of fucking fallout or something. Some post-apocalyptic landscape out there. It's pretty, pretty depressing and wild and, you know, very, very GNR. And MTV News covered it. Like, I love seeing all this stuff. I didn't get to see this in real time, but all the old MTV... Like, it's proper CNN for music news, and it's really treated with respect. Lars, you know, ever the ever the businessman, ever the diplomat, ever the communications master, uh, he was on the blow with them having a little chat. And here's what Lars said just after the incident on MTV News. In fact, however, however talks are scheduled for a possible makeup show this fall. While Guns N' Roses have had no comment on the incident yet, for another first-person point of view on the Montreal show, we've got Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich on the phone right now. How you doing, Lars? I'm good. I'm good. How is James? Is he in, still in the hospital? James How bad is, was he burned? Um, James is here in Denver um, with me, and uh, he's, uh, under the circumstances, doing incredibly well. I mean, it's a miracle. Everybody's saying it's a miracle that he got off. You know, with just uh, burns on his uh, arms and, and on his hands and a little bit up on his face. But, you know, considering he was pretty much engulfed in flames for about a full second, it's it, all the doctors are saying it's a miracle he got off as good as he did. And he's, he's out here now in Denver with us, and there's a bunch of uh, doctors and, and burn specialists and stuff like that that are attending to him out here. And like I said, under the circumstances, he's, he's ver doing very good. He's very coherent. A few positives did come out of the concert mess in Montreal, though. A series of Montreal-based lawsuits against GNR obtained money that was split between 10 community charities. Uh, Metallica also promised to return to the city for a makeup concert, which they did a few months later in February 1993. And most romantically, Axel's manager at the time, Craig Duswalt, found love. Apparently a stressed-out Axel afterwards wanted a trip to New York 
York and he tagged along. The trip gave him a lot of free time to spend with the woman who would become his wife. And Duswat would say in his memoir, quote, I'm married to Natasha because James Hetfield, the lead singer-guitarist of Metallica, stood on top of a flash pot during their set and suffered second-degree burns on his arms and hands on August 8th, 1992 in Montreal, Canada. Slash would say later he couldn't even look anyone in the eye, af- couldn't even look anyone in Metallica in the eye afterwards. He was so embarrassed. And you too who came into Montreal a few weeks later, apparently cracked jokes at Axel's expense. Uh, Bono had a sort of veiled jibe saying, what time is it? You know, we've got to go or something like that. Again, tried to find that clip, couldn't, but you know, oh, Bono. So after the Axel voice delays and then the riot and, you know, Hetfield's immolation, the tour slowly continues. We get to August 25th now. We're in Phoenix, the Phoenix International Raceway. And, you know, James, rightly so, was nervous when he got back on the stage, saying, when I went back for the first time and those flames went up, my heart raced. It's like when you're a kid. If something scares you, you go do it anyway. I'm not going to fire the pyro guy. It was my mistake too, so I'm going to learn from it. That's the Metallica way. And apparently the performance of Nothing Else Matters um, here was actually used in the year and a half in the life of Metallica documentary. Next show is two days later in La Cruces. I think I'm saying that right. Aggie Memorial Stadium. Axel being a prick as always. Um, apparently Axel asked the crowd how many people there were that were from the local area. After some cheers and raised hands, he then asked how many people would actually admit to being from the local local area the question was answered with many bottles thrown at the stage raised middle fingers and screams of fuck you axel so yeah there you go following day was an off day for the band so naturally gnr threw a huge party this was a massive bash at the old homestead restaurant in new york city apparently friends were treated to a feast followed by a casino style backstop backstage casino style backstage party with ice sculptures and craps tables faith no more went metallica went uh singer songwriter carol king went Shout out Carol King, Love Tapestry. We're now in New Orleans, August 29th, Louisiana Superdome. And again, we're going to go back to Life magazine. When the band, this being Guns N' Roses, finally leaves the stage, a big red sign flashes, Guns N' Roses, Guns N' Roses, like an applause sign, suggesting in no uncertain terms it would be okay for their fans to ask for an encore, which they do. The band comes out, sings Paradise City and exits, returning one last time for a bow, arm in arm, as in a Broadway show. Axl Rose tosses... Axel tosses roses into the crowd, the other guys throw guitar picks and drumsticks, and then more explosions, 20 bangs, 4 fireballs, 100 fireworks, and as the band leaves for the last time, the red lights flash, thank you, we love you, thank you, we love you. Afterwards, there is a usual backstage party with the usual hors d'oeuvres, open bar, pinball machines, pool table, hot tub, strippers. But these strippers say the heck with the hot tub and just do their stripping and undulating right on the tables. Duff doesn't go to the party. He goes back to the hotel and calls Linda. Slash doesn't stay at the party. He goes back to the hotel Renee. Axel stays at the party until 5 a.m. Two days later, in Atlanta, playing the Lakewood Amphitheater, and there's a really cool thing that just got put back onto YouTube a few weeks ago. It's some MTV News special on this tour. I got a lot of the research from there. And there's a few cool segments as well. There's one where Duff shows the reporter behind the scenes and sort of goes through the, the cupboards and the, the linens of the band. I mean, I would like to include it here, but the bass frequency is a bit whacked out, so you can't really hear too much, but definitely stick them on. A cooler one, though, is Gilby, new member Gilby, interviews people behind the scenes who have attended the show fans a lot of them this being their first concert you know first mega concert certainly and they interview him back and it's actually a nice exchange so i'll just play a bit of that here what about the people who are actually paying to come see guns and roses and metallica play we wanted to find out what they thought of the show so we sent the not so objective reporter guns guitarist gilby clark to find out 
first of all, have you guys ever been backstage before? No, no. never. No, is this what you expected? No, no. Not really. <laughs> what did you guys expect? <laughs> Naked girls, stuff like that. Exactly. That's why you guys are here, you know? Okay. As far as this touring stuff, I mean, is this like the biggest thing probably you guys are going to see, like, you know, while you're going to concerts and stuff? I think it is to me. I, I was excited when I was on my way here. I mean, I was just stuffing everywhere. <laughs> I never thought I'd see Guns N' Roses or Metallica or anything. And I was like, oh, God. So, so we, I mean, we kind of paid, like, a lot of money for our tickets. But Big oh, bucks. Uh, yeah. But, but no it's worth it. it. My paycheck thanks you. <laughs> We're getting to September now, September 2nd, 92. This is the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Um, saw a comment on YouTube, so let's just read that. Went to the Orlando show. It was a couple of weeks after Hetfield had been burned. The show went along really smoothly. GNR started on time. The only unusual part was when Axel went on a short rant about Courtney Love doing heroin while pregnant. Both bands were great. It was by far the best concert I've ever been to, and really cheap too. All the tickets were only $28 each. Today that show would have been at least $200 up. So, yeah, so we have this mention of Courtney, mention of Nirvana which maybe happened because they snubbed Axel, maybe there were other deep-seated issues here, because apparently he'd also got into something on stage here at the Citrus Bowl, going into alternative bands in general, including Nirvana and yeah, there was a lot of Nirvana beef going on at the time, so we would have a few days later, September 8th, would be the MTV Music Video Awards, where Axel and Kurt and Courtney had this really weird exchange, it's fucking fantastically it's fucking fantastically surreal. And then there's a time where Axel burnt a Nirvana cap on stage. I think that was in Colombia a few days later. And they actually did a jam of Smells Like Teen Spirit, an instrumental jam, which again, I can't find. If anyone's listening there that is a real archivist of GNR, like we have all the Metallica guys already, hit me up if you've got any of these shows, especially that jam on Teen Spirit. I'd love to see footage of him burning the cap as well. Next show is September 4th, the Houston Astrodome. And. You know, I'm doing research on every single show, trying to find what I can, trying to find news articles or stuff from, you know, uh, archives, rocks back pages, etc. I could only really find one of those. But there is on YouTube, thank you for anyone who did this, uh, Houston, the, the local news station, KTRK, do a little section on it. Uh, there's a guy reporting outside live as GNR are playing and stuff like that. And we get to see footage of Metallica and GNR and interviews with the fans. And, you know, I just, I just love this sort of stuff. Um, you know, in terms of history. I just love this sort of stuff from a historical perspective, from a source idea. So, yeah, here's some of the fans who were at the show. Fans have crowded the Astrodome to hear two supergroups tonight. Guns N' Roses and Metallica are hitting our state. Our reporter Chris Adams is covering that concert. He's joining us now live, and it's quite a different crowd than we saw at the Republican convention, isn't it, Chris? I would say uh, definitely so. On stage right now, Guns N' Roses, they're entertaining about 45,000 fans. Now, the music is loud, the crowd is mostly young, and the energy level is high. If you've never been to one of these things, I can tell you it's quite an experience. That's great, man. That's great. You gotta be here, right here. Metallica is really good. I like Metallica. Next up was September 5th. This is Irvine. Texas Stadium, here Faith No More's lead guitarist Jim Martin join Metallica on stage to cover Last Caress, which is pretty fucking cool. Then we have September 7th, they're in Columbia, they played the williams Bryce Stadium, and as I mentioned before, there were all these crazy parties going on. I think Slash said that they barely made any profit from these shows. I'm pretty sure from each show, I believe they got about a 750 grand purse to split so there was a lot of profits on the table, but 
you know, maybe they could have made even more if they wouldn't have changed the stages around as well and had the additional crews. But I think the big drain for guns, the late fees as well, and all the damages they had to pay. But you have September 11th, they're at the Foxborough Stadium in Foxborough. September 13th, they're in Toronto, Canada. And I think the band wanted to go to Canada more, but there was a really interesting news story where a city councillor stopped Guns N' Roses and Metallica from touring. So I'm just reading this from the Ottawa Citizen. Uh, this came out in December 9th, 2016. The year was 1992. George Bush was in the White House, Denham was everywhere, and a 30-year-old Jim Watson, then a city councillor, was making his debut on America's Entertainment Tonight. The reason for his notoriety? The straight-laced councillor, whose ward include Lansdowne Park, was war- was waging a war against heavy metal bands Guns N' Roses and Metallica. It wasn't so much that Watson didn't want the bands to come to Ottawa, but he was steadfast against extending the noise bylaw past 11pm, a prerequisite for their appearance in the nation's capital. It was going to be go... It was going to go far too late, Watson said on Friday, and not only that, but the buses wouldn't be running and people would have no way to get home. With some of the residents behind him, he waged an effective campaign that convinced his council colleagues to vote against the bands getting an exemption from the noise bylaw. With a light show in the groups playing... With a light show and the groups playing 90 minutes apiece, the band wanted to be able to play until 12.30am. No exemption, no concert. But in what's believed to be his first big loss as a councillor, there was an incredible backlash from Guns N' Roses fans, and the issue brought him immediate media attention. So, yeah, they interviewed a guy as well from a local radio station who was saying that loads of people were getting in touch. Our phone lines were jammed, starting at 6am. We decided to drop the music this morning and let them vent their anger. A lot of Guns N' Roses fans are 25, 35, or 40. They're tax-paying, working people. So, yeah, that's an interesting footnote, isn't it, that this guy stood in the way of uh, rock legends. September 15th, the two rolled along to Minneapolis to play the Humbert H. Humphrey Metrodome. I bet half of these stadiums are completely renamed now. An interesting quote from John Bream, who was a reviewer for the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Minneapolis Star Tribune, saying, The best-selling t-shirts last night were the two $23 models with both GNR and Metallica on them, according to vendor Curtis Naptonsteam. As for the individual band shirts, he said the GNR ones were outselling Metallica's. Vendors expected to sell more than half a million dollars worth of souvenirs. Next up, we had September 17th, Kansas City for the bands, Arrowhead Stadium. Um, and around this time, Faith and More had left the tour. I think they had other obligations. I think they were pissing off Axel a lot, and they were talking a lot of trash in the press, as we've quoted prior. Um, Guns' tour manager saying, I do not specifically remember the circumstances behind them leaving. I believe it was something said in the press by Faith and More, but I'm not so sure. Bill, the bass player of Faith and More, said, We said a lot of shit and didn't realise how bad it was until we got caught. Axel was real straight with us, but it was an ugly scene. He said, It's like I went away and came back home to find you guys fucked my wife. We were thrown off the tour for five hours, but we apologised. It was like being in the principal's office. He said, Only like you guys. Nirvana, Jane's Addiction and two other bands. And all of you hate me. Why do you hate me? And it's a body count, come on, body count being um, Ice T's kind of rap rock outfit, cop killer. Can't say I'm too familiar with them, to be honest, apart from that song. Lars saying, nothing against Faith No More, but I wish Body Count had been on this whole tour. i got to admit, I wasn't so sold on them at the beginning, and we were like, uh uh-huh, here comes the riots every night. And obviously, that had happened prior, so I guess it couldn't get any worse with Body Count. September 19th, Denver, the Mile High Stadium in Colorado. 
Axel again mysteriously just leave the stage mid-set and G and I have to play a lot of songs without him. James would say, I didn't understand what happens. I was just, I didn't understand what happened. I was just sitting back having dinner and our tour manager comes back and says, man, don't go anywhere. Axel's left the building. I don't know what the fuck happened because I heard the band playing a song. So I guess they finally coaxed him back. The police locked all the gates so we couldn't leave again. That's when it turns into a joke. That's like a job. Imagine going to work and being locked in like jail or something. September 24th, we get to Oakland, the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. And James will talk about how John Marshall obviously had taken over guitar playing duties from James here, and he was just a singer. Being a frontman without playing... Being a frontman was weird. It reminded me how much I really love fucking playing rhythm guitar, especially during some of the older songs, where there's a lot of guitar work or instrumental shit. It's like, what the fuck do I do? I just leave, go backstage and have a beer. On September 27th, they played the LA Coliseum. Then there's a Jack Murphy Stadium three days later, September 30th of 92. Uh, Motorhead had also joined the tour, I should say, around this time, opening for the band. And I think Andrew Dice Clay... Oh! was around and introduced... Yeah, introduced Guns on October 3rd, 92, which um, was the Rose Bowl show in Pasadena. And this is an interesting one because there is an article that I found from the Enemy, the New Musical Express, dated the 24th October, 1992. Metallica, high on iron cyan is what Stephen Dalton titles it. And I really like this guy's writing, actually. So he's basically talking about Metallica coming on stage. Crashing crashing Ennio Morricone chords unfurl around James Hetfield, Space Cowboy, Warlock Biker, Derek Smalls meets Chewbacca the Wookiee, a frontman of unnerving moral authority and uncompromising facial hair. Behind him here at the Pasadena Rose Bowl, a vast outdoor sports arena, 40 months... 40 minutes east of LA, gather drummer Lars Ulrich, scuba diving and tennis playing citizen of Denmark, octopus armed guitarist Kirk Hammett, and scowling bassist Jason Newstead. The impossibly tall John Marshall of Metal Church handles Hetfield's guitar parts while the singer recovers from pyrotechnic injuries received earlier on this tour. A mammoth 18 month jaunt, the last three with Guns N' Roses. Stage front, spouting like a macabre torture scene from Hieronymus Bosch, hundreds of flailing limbs and bobbing heads await the sweat and spit of their cruel taskmaster to drench of their cruel taskmaster to drench them. This is the snake pit, where naughty girls and boys go to atone for their sins. It will double in size when the band invade Britain later this month. Stephen recollects on the show. 9.30pm, more than two hours of Metallica live at the Rose Bowl completely alters all preconceptions. Tight and disciplined, bleak and unrelenting, highly charged and hugely atmospheric. This is an immensely oppressive spectacle and easily the best stadium show these ears and eyes have ever witnessed. I'm convinced and converted. And then there's one final show, October 16th, 1992. That was the Seattle Kingdome, where they sold 93% of their allocation. I mean, the tour, as said before, was a huge success financially for Metallica. Slash would say in his self-titled autobiography that the band lost about 80% of the earnings from it. Um, the tour also earned both bands a Metal Edge Reader's Choice Award in 1992, when it was voted Best Concert. Yeah, there you have it. A little bit of a higgledy-piggledy, kind of around-the-houses sort of episodes. A lot of quotes in there that I hope you enjoyed. Didn't really touch too much on Metallica. Uh, more Guns N' Roses stuff, but... Again, this is something I just wanted to cover. I just wanted to put out a little quick episode for you guys because I know you look forward to those Monday mornings or, well, at least I do anyway. And I want to say, again, we are going to be doing the meet-up soon. So if you do want to meet me or meet other Alpha Metallica fans, get a few drinks before the show or even the day after the show on the Friday, you know, hopefully I can do both days if people are interested. I live in Oxford, personally. I don't live in London, but... 
It's about an hour away on the coach, and I can get there anytime. So, you know, I'll hopefully be there on both days. MetallicaPod at gmail.com, at MetallicaPod. They're the best avenues for getting in touch if you want to meet me, if you want to come on the show in general. Maybe you saw Metallica and Guns N' Roses on this tour. I'm pretty sure I've had a few people on the show who did go to that originally. Maybe they can get in touch, or maybe you're a new listener, or you've never got in touch before. MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Let me know. Let me know what the shows were like. Let me know what item of clothing that Axel denigrated. Let me know if it was pre-burn or post-burn James. You know, I, I'm very, very interested in this. And it's great to hear, you know, direct anecdotal recollections from people. So, yeah, reach out. We'll read them out on a future episode. Let's have a look at the sets as well these bands were playing. So, obviously, there were various Metallica sets they were taking. They're pretty much you can find them all online. But, I mean, they are just, oh, my God. They were just drawing from all classic material. Let's look at this set from South Carolina. Creeping Death. Harvester of Sorrow into Sanitarium, Sad But True, Revel My Rome. That's the opening five. Got the bass guitar solo there. Fucking hell. Fade into Master into Seek. Pretty much always closing with Enter Sandman. One just before that as well. The covers and my evil last caress were the ones that were keeping the set most full. Guns. Again, guns are kind of a little bit of a pearl jam at times. They can really mix stuff up. But it seems to be mostly the same here. Uh, Welcome to the Jungle into Mr. Brownstone into Live and Let Die. Yeah, I'm familiar with that opening trio. Uh, Attitude got played, which is quite cool. The Misfits cover that they would cover themselves later on as well. Um... Paradise City, pretty much standard as the closer. I mean, I fucking adore Guns N' Roses. I mentioned before on the show that I need to do a full deep dive on Appetite and everything else. And it'd be good to do a Guns N' Roses episode just reflecting on my favourite songs of the band as well. I personally feel that Night Train by Guns N' Roses is the greatest rock song out of all time ever. Um, I just think it's pretty much untouchable. It, it, to my ears, I'm sure many people are scoffing out there with your ACDs and your Zeppelins and your Sabbaths, whatever, millions of great rock songs out there. But just for me, personally, I think Night Train is the greatest ever. I've said there needs to be a Guns N' Roses podcast in the future. I'm pretty sure there is one, but it's not. It's more like news. It's not like kind of a, a single podcast for a metal podcast or whatever, where they're going into the band in depth. A pool or nothing, I'll throw a little Sam reference in there. Um, I don't think that exists, and I think if there ever is going to be a sort of alpha Metallica Guns, I mean, first of all, if you're thinking of doing it, please do it. It'd be easier. I think it's about half the amount of songs that Guns N' Roses have done, um, and you've got to book me on for the Night Train episode because, I mean, Night Train's the greatest rock song ever written. Anyway. You know, and afterwards, I mean, this tour finished fucking 27 years ago, if you can believe that. That's absolutely mania. I mean, we're, we're early in January, so technically 26, if that makes you feel any better. Um, I think the bands, you know, they, they, they still get on. Um, they're still huge names. They can still do this on their own. You know, Guns have proved that. Um, on their Not In This Lifetime tour, which I think is one of the highest grossing tours ever. They've played every stadium Metallica can play. I would say probably they they're still equals maybe Metallica is slightly bigger in certain territories but I wouldn't want to wager that really I bet guns can sell out anywhere Metallica can apparently Lars is in the unreleased video for better better being a song of Chinese democracy better being probably the best song of Chinese democracy absolutely fantastic track and it's very cool that they're playing this on the tour as well to see what Slash does with the parts. But yeah, there's an unreleased video. It leaked. I haven't actually seen it. Lars in the video. You can see him and Axel hugging apparently at one time. So, you know, clearly the communications are still warm. Um, around the hardwired time, Kirk was actually asked about GNR. This is in the LA Times about them doing a reunion tour. He said, quote, unfortunately, they've turned into something of a nostalgia act which to me is kind of sad. Well, Kirk, your solo playing is sort of a nostalgia act. It's kind of sad to me, to be honest. Hammett continues, as for the importance of writing new material, James... 
And then James continued, as for the importance of writing new material, James said, I don't want to think we're going to try and stay young by writing new stuff, but it makes us feel relevant. It makes us feel like we're still progressing. And then there was stuff as well in Sydney's, uh, Triple M Sydney's rocking Byron Cook was interviewing James. This is in September 2010. And they were speaking a little bit about the tour rider, which James famously makes fun of in the year and a half live documentary, which is a brilliant clip. Uh, Hetfield said, I've got nothing against Guns N' Roses. I mean, he's doing what he wants to do at this point. I don't know if there's much Guns or Roses in that. Obviously, this is uh, before the reunion. and But it's Axel, and he is Axel, and he has not changed or waned one bit, and I kind of respect that. Also, when they were going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Lars was asked about GNR. He was said, on the topic of the drama and tragedy, would you guys ever consider touring Guns N' Roses again now that they're back out there? Lars says, I actually shaked his head and mouth no before becoming a bit more diplomatic. Quote, as James was saying earlier, we're road dogs and we love to tour. So if that opportunity ever came in the right situation, of course. James saying, we've learned to never say never because you don't know what hurdle, what great thing is going to get handled to you. It's going to get handed to you. Actually, all four of us really like Chinese democracy, continued Lars. I think it's a great record. Who knows? We'd never say no to anything. And then finally, Hetfield was asked about the new Guns record that was coming out, which again was Chinese democracy at the time, I believe. Hetfield says, I'll certainly listen to it. I haven't lost sleep waiting for it. I thought we took a long time to make an album. But you know, he's late to everything, so it makes total sense. We saw him play a festival at Germany two years ago. He's a good frontman. He's eccentric, but all artists are. If they don't show that they're quirky, they're lying to you. As I said, it's been slightly ramshackle. I appreciate your patience here. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. We will be back in the future to cover many more Metallica songs. Got Merciful Fate coming up next. I think Metal Militia after that as well. Then the more I see Mistress Dread, that they're on that sort of broth there. So um, yeah, this has been Tom. Alpha Metallica, get at me, Metallica Pod, um, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show, if you want to meet up as well before Metallica's gig at Twickenham Stadium in London, that is June 20th, 2019. We're going to do lots of stuff around that, you know, hopefully, um, maybe even film some interviews and stuff, get in touch with, maybe even film a few things outside, uh, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, this has been Tom Quee, Alpha Metallica. As always, guys, appreciate you listening. Patreon, iTunes. See you later, bye. <laughs>